Hello and welcome back to Success Back, the Success Factory. My name is Felix Becker and I am, of course, your very own success coach here. Now, you may already know this, but when I was growing up, I was taught a wrong idea about who coaches are and what they do. I had this really limiting mindset about what coaching could possibly be. And it wasn't until I looked into it for myself and discovered the magic of coaching that it completely transformed my own life. And so I want to change that for you as well. I want to introduce you to the power and magic of coaching and how it can transform your own life. And what better way to do that than to introduce you to actual coaches. So on this segment, as you know, I am interviewing coaches. I'm getting to know other coaches, what they do, who they are. And I'm sharing these conversations with you so that you too can discover what coaching can do for yourself. So this week, let me share with you the conversation I had with Ellie Danovitz. Ellie is a fascinating individual. She started as a dietitian in nursing homes, ultimately became a corporate leader, and that's how she got into coaching, which then led to now being a coach of her own. She is in the leadership space, and the conversation was quite fascinating. So listen in as we talk about her story, where she came from, and how she ended up becoming a coach herself. Now, as you know, if you enjoy this conversation, please like, subscribe, leave a review, share this message with others. The more people we can reach, the more people we can help. But with all that out of the way, here is my conversation with Ellie. Ellie, I'd be mean, really nice to meet you. I know this has been a little bit of a, you know, figuring out our schedules to figure out what we could do this, but we're here. We made it. We made it happen, and that's the most important thing. So let's get right into it. Who are you? So, um, Ellie, uh, you know, when you say who are you, there are so many things that could be attached to that. But you know, first and foremost, um, I'm a family person, uh, wife, mother, um, of three. I would say children, but. Uh, you know, adult, almost adult children. And, you know, my life has really been surrounded in, in, um, in, in being a leader and, you know, starting from the very ground, uh, you know, entry level type position, all the way up to uh, senior vice president, division vice president for a very large corporation um, in the hospitality culinary space. And, you know, one of the things that I was afforded, uh, besides the opportunities within that company, um, was the opportunity to work with the leadership coach. And that was by accident, really. It, it happened because our company thought coaching was important um, and having people have connections with coaches was important. And so they did a, a trial, if you will, with leaders around the company. I got picked, luckily. Uh, it was a very short stint, but one of the, the feedback that we all gave to the company was, it was great, but it was too short. We want more of it. So uh, that ended up leading to a, a actually like a three-year journey with a coach, same coach, uh, which is unusual in the coaching world. But during that year, so many things happened in the space that I was living in, you know, as a leader, uh, transitioning into a new role. COVID and all that came with that, 
uh, in the workforce and then another transition um, within the company so that that leadership coach was with me through all of that. And then uh, last fall transitioning out of that role after 33 years uh, with the company and as a leader, just trying to decide what was going to be next for me. And certainly uh, my leadership coach was a, a very big part of that and a very big help to me in, in that time. And through all of that, you know, looking at what's possible, you know, one of his, one of the things he said to me was, think of yourself sitting in a field of endless possibilities. And I'm a very visual person. So um, that really brought on so many different things that I, I was very passionate about. And sitting in that field, and I can see the my vision board that I did at that time. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I really loved about the role I was in uh, always had something to do with people. And as a leader, I spent a lot of time developing and helping people grow into their role or newer roles and being a mentor to so many throughout the organization. Um, and so teaching and, and all those things were a very big part of what I wanted to do with my next career. And so I uh, found myself enrolling in a coaching education program, uh, Lumia, and found that that was my true calling um, and certainly uh, something that I, you know, I am just so passionate about working with people and helping people and working with fellow coaches and, and learning, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. Never thought I'd be going back to school after, you know, career of 33 years, but I did it, continuing to do it. Um, but that just led me to, you know, Lumia, the whole education, because, you know, I think working with my coach certainly helped and uh, what I understood coaching was, but, you know, there were some aha moments, things that I've learned as a coach uh, you know, the frameworks and things of that nature that I didn't even realize he was using with me. Um, but then I was like, oh, so that's why he asked those questions. So that's why he brought me down that path. Um, this is very fascinating and it's just so very rewarding to, you know, to sit and listen to somebody and truly listen and be there for them. You know, there are times when I'm coaching and I feel like I'm not really sure that I did anything today. But, you know, at the end of the day, when people say, you really listened to me and that meant more than anything could have, you know, that's a win for both of us. And, you know, if that's what it is, that's what it is. And sometimes you're digging a little bit deeper into the situation, you know, whether it's a life situation, a career situation, um, it still comes down to whether that, that, that individual that you're with in that moment feels like they're truly your only focus at that moment and that you're doing something that's helping them go wherever they need to go, get unstuck, change careers, life, kids, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, and so it's something that I am so fortunate again to have had the opportunity to work with such a great coach and continue with great coaches within Lumia, but also now have the opportunity to help others the way I've been helped. Yeah, yeah, no, that that sounds amazing. And uh, coming back just for a second to what you were saying, uh, that people like to be listened to, uh, I agree with you. And if you think about coaching, it's all about the person on the other end, right? It's all about that client and, and their journey and their story and whatever they're trying to accomplish. And 
uh, I had a similar. So my girlfriend is a counselor, and we have you know similar sort of parallels, if you will, in that sense. And uh, sometimes she she also says, um, you know, I, I don't think I did anything. I just listened. Uh, sometimes that's what people just need to do in order to speak out and get their words out, and that's what it takes to process. And I, you know, if you think about NLP, for example, neuro linguistic programming, right? A lot of it is either visualizing or even saying things out loud because that gives it such more immediacy or some, makes more concrete uh, than you just ruminating your thoughts inside your head. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Sometimes it feels like we're not doing anything, but it's exactly what the other person needs in that moment. Uh, and that's right. that's truly some of the, the power of coaching is being there for these other people uh, when, when they need us. Um, but before we get to your coaching thing, you said you had 33 years uh, long career in uh, the sort of the leadership and executive space. So uh, why don't we start there? How did you get into that? What was your journey into that space? So, you know, I went to school for nutrition and dietetics. That's, I, I changed my major about four or five times. Uh, I ended up with a degree in nutrition, dietetics, finance, and Spanish. And, you know, the nutrition and dietetics, is, I was looking at more from a wellness and um, athleticism, you know, journey versus working in a clinical aspect. And um, finance, certainly, I've always loved numbers, and I love the story behind numbers. So that was uh, the other piece. Got out of college and ended up going and working in long-term care in a nursing home out in Boston. And um, As a dietitian? As a dietitian and a director. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And, and, you know, uh, really found that I love that space. And this is so many years ago when, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that arena was very institutional. And it's changed so much over time. It certainly changed during my career, but that was the starting point for me was becoming that leader in that very small nursing home and <laughs> not really having a clue to what I was doing, but, you know, trying to figure it all out. And um, that was with an independent. And then I joined a uh, contract food service company. I, I came back to, I'm from Chicago, moved out to Boston to do all of that, came back to Chicago, joined a um contract food service company and was awarded a job as a director in a very upscale retirement community for all women. And it was beautiful set on Lake Michigan. Uh, and it was like, you know, going to Shangri-La every day. It was so pretty and, you know, working with the ladies and, and all of that. And I really didn't do much with the nutrition piece. And it really wasn't the avenue I wanted to go. I found very early on that uh, I was not a clinical type person and didn't want to do that charting and, and all of that. But this wasn't me. I wanted to be knee deep into what was going on in the day to day. And so started as that, that, that director with this company that was contracted to do the food service. And, you know, just, I think I, I, I began to find my, my calling then uh, as a leader, you know, because I came into a bit of a mess and really had to kind of figure out what it was that uh, you needed to do to move people around, get get finances in order, get people engaged. And I did a, a great job. Uh, I say that because then they asked me to do three more of them. So I then had oversight over four of them. And, you know, each one was like a new acquisition. So came with the same set of challenges that that person had. And so worked my way through that. And, you know, one of the things that I... I always uh, put first and foremost in my role as a leader with people. 
you know, I mean, there's so many facets to operations. It's, you know, whether, whether the food is great or whether the service is great or whether, you know, the numbers are meeting the numbers and are people safe and all of those things. Um, but I, I also realized really early on that if you don't treat the people who are performing all those tasks the right way, then none of those things are going to follow uh, because you'll have disengaged employees, people who aren't happy, people who aren't coming to work, people who are leaving their jobs. You get to the root of what makes them happy and what makes them tick and energized and where do they want to go. And then the rest is, you know, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's more magical. And so with each step I took with um, that group of four, certainly um, I always put people at the forefront first, knowing that my job as a leader in the company was to make the company money and have a good return on investment. And that was my job. But the big facet of that was, again, goes back to the people. And so then in that in that time, you know, I, I, I realized I also had that passion for for developing um, people. I was very fortunate to be given the opportunity to do these four, you know, and so starting to develop people so they could grow. Um, and, and everyone's growth path looks different and you recognize that, but you try and work with them to help them get where they want to get to. And so after those four, then um, I got a, an offer with the company. Now this is still the same company uh, to move to California and uh, take on a bigger role and uh, in a different uh, sector, which was more business and industry versus long-term care or senior living. But I took it and I went to San Diego and you know lived lived the high life out there for a couple of years, and then um, that was a shorter stint. But then we were purchased uh, by a larger company at the time, which is the one that I ended up looking for uh, for the remainder of my career. And uh, they wanted me to move back to Chicago. And I was ready because I really, they wanted me to move, either move to Los Angeles or move back to Chicago. I really wasn't crazy about Los Angeles, nothing against Los Angeles, but I, you know, I'd, I'd had some accounts of those. It was just more difficult to get to and I missed home. So given the opportunity, I came back to Chicago from California. People say you're crazy, but I uh, did it and then was given a larger role uh, as, again, a regional director of operations and had a bigger territory. Same thing, you know, just duplicating what helped me be successful to get where I'd gotten thus far. And then again, seeding people and um, developing them. And from there, I grew um, every few years, I, I grew um, in role and in what I oversaw. Uh, where at the last position that I held for the company, I was uh, the senior vice, division vice president and um, covered, you know, probably 75% of the country uh, as, as an executive. So had people who were me, you know, uh, reporting to me and then, you know, the teams on down. But, you know, again, I always go back to, you know, what helped me be successful and always goes back to the people um, in the team that I had. Uh, a lot of them had worked for me as directors. I promoted them to regionals. Um, I didn't do it. They did the hard work to get there, but um, I was glad that, you know, their, their hard work paid off so they could move up and have moved up since. Um, and so, you know, a long journey of uh, growth and development for myself. And again, just being a lifelong learner, it's really important to me to never sit still and to always be thinking about what you can do next. Uh, what's best for the company, what's best for the people, um, what's best for results. 
And, you know, I think at, at the point where I, I was at probably last summer, not this, not this past summer, a year ago before I left, uh, I thought about, you know, what's next for me. And, and there's still opportunity within the company, but I wanted to try something different. And I, 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 I had the opportunity to do it. So I took the chance and here I am. That's right. No, I, I definitely understand that drawback home at that point, and, you know, home versus LA. I think I can understand that. Um, but uh, I mean, so much, so much great stuff there. And, and the leadership thing is something that uh, has become incredibly more valuable to me as well. Uh, my history is uh, uh, both in medicine as well as the military. So I've had a lot of um, structured ranks uh, in my in my careers. And uh, the, the I, I think the overarching theme that I have gathered from good leadership is to like exactly what you said, and that is to treat people as people. Um, on the one hand, they're your most, uh, you know, a costly asset in a company, and also the most valuable. They're, you know, people will ultimately make or break your company, and so treating them as human beings, as as people, as people uh, who are working with you instead of for you, is so important. So, uh, with your experience, I kind of want to know why do you think so many uh, leaders, let's say, you know. Uh, I'll use the term somewhat loosely for right for right now, but why do so many leaders fail to do so? Why do we not treat people as people more? I think that there's a couple. That's a great question, but I I think that there's a couple facets to that. I think first and foremost, not everybody, for lack of a better word, grew up the way we grew up. You know, um, from the ground up, and and learning the importance of that. Either they didn't learn it, or they didn't want to. And I think it's it's just I don't know if we could go fifty fifty, but I think those are two factors that that uh, that create that void of um, how people think they should treat others. And I think the other thing is people get into positions of power, and that's what they want is the power, and not recognizing that power comes with responsibility to people instead of just sheer power. Yeah, and so some use that as their their armor, um, and can't really see past that. Regardless of the, maybe some of the chaos or lack of results that are going on around them, I think they just broaden their armor to you know kind of bring down the hammer, hammer on people. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing is um, lack of education and lack of uh, just understanding of what great leadership looks like. I had great leaders to follow. And I wonder if people who don't grasp what a good leader looks like didn't have a good leader in the first place. Mm-hmm. So um, they're kind of going by what they think a leader is versus what truly um, an effective leader is. No, I, I think that absolutely makes sense. And I think what you're saying too is uh, the, the way we're raised and brought up is, is definitely our first experience with leadership. Uh, the, more, the more deeply I dive into the ideas of leadership, the more I'm recognizing the parallels between a good parent and a good leader. And mm-hmm. I always say, be a parent, not a boss. And I feel most parents are just bosses. Here, do this, do that. Now do this, now do that. Without ever being a leader in trying to motivate uh, the kid to do 
it things on your own or, or to teach them in a way that they understand why they're supposed to do certain things, right? I mean, if if you're always as a kid, you grow up being told what to do. And then ultimately, when you grow up and you begin, you get that leadership position, whether that's in a in a uh, some kind of role in a company or as a parent yourself, you're, you're obviously that's all you know. And that's what you're going to uh, bring forward uh, yourself being that boss where you just shout out orders um, without being a true and effective leader. So knowing that, knowing that it even begins with parenthood, uh, with our schools, um, where do we begin to change what leaders can be? Because you and I know what a good leader is, but how do we spread the message to more people? You know, I'd like to think that's a good question. I'd like to think that um, a piece of that is by is through coaching. So, you know, my area of focus has finally narrowed down to leadership coaching with really a focus on new managers and emerging leaders. So that's where it starts, right? Um, and so I'd like to think that a part of that could be changed by people engaging with coaching. Now, not everyone does and not everyone can, and not everyone will, but I think that's one piece. I think the other is um, to have more open dialogue like this, where we talk about uh, what good leadership looks like and what it doesn't. And so people who are entering into the arena may hear, you know, what it takes. I think that's another piece. I think the other part is, um, and I don't know how we change this so much, but the education system. So when you go to school and you want to be a manager and you go into management as your major, you know, taking a look at the curriculum that they're learning, and it isn't just about the book stuff, because the book stuff, I mean, if you think about your education, I know I can think about mine. So much of what I learned was helpful early on, but after that, it was more about learning as I went um, and experienced it versus what a book told me to do. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So looking at the curriculum in schools uh, that are teaching that, that they're teaching great leadership skills and what that looks like and what it doesn't look like and the practical piece of it so that it's not someone reading a book and saying, I'm a leader, so I'm in charge and so I must do. And that, you know, what does that really teach anyone? So the more we can infiltrate, you know, leadership in any space that, that there is and have that message be very loud and clear about, how you should go about your own leadership, self-leadership first, always lead self first, then you can lead others, and then working with the teams and um, any new managers or emerging leaders. Which, you know, I think it's a, it seems like a monumental job, but I think it's so important. And yeah. It's really something I, I got a lot of focus on with my team. You know, if I saw people doing things or saying things that were out of uh, what we would like to call, um, we, we'd like to, to talk about building a remarkable culture where people believe the best of one another, want the best for one another, expect the best from one another. And so when people were working, no matter what level outside of those boundaries, then, you know, a conversation had to happen about, how can we fix this? How can we shift this way of thinking, you know? Yeah. The long-winded answer. Sorry, but <laughs> no, no. I, I think the, I think there's great stuff there, and uh, you know, one of the thoughts I had just thinking about what you were just saying. Uh, I think, uh, at least from my experience, 
um, a lot of academic experience, uh, but a lot of, like I said, rank and hierarchy structures in, in all of my uh, experiences in life. There's always been people in the bottom rungs who were complaining about how they were led, how, you know, how they were just told what to do and they didn't have the freedom to do the things that they felt they needed to do. And yet, because of the fairly rigid rank structure, they moved up the ranks along the way. And when they got to be in that position, they weren't any different. So why does that happen? Why do people who you know realize bad leadership and and realize, no, this needs to be done differently, when the time comes that they're in that position, they're not any different? I think they forget, honestly. I think I think number one, they forget what it was like and they follow the model, you know. Um, and number two, I think sometimes people being promoted into leadership roles there comes this this feeling of power, you know, that leadership means power. And so then they feel powerful and people sometimes do, uh, I would say it's not great things when they feel like power is the only thing that comes with being a leader. Yeah. Uh, wielding power versus sharing power. You know what I mean? No, I think I, they forget. Yeah, I, I think you're right onto something. Uh, it's like the Stanford prison experiment, right? Yeah, you made some people guards and some people prisoners. I don't know if you know the study, but uh, it, they, they, they made some people guards and some people prisoners in this fake prison. And uh, these were college students. Uh, so they had no experience being in either role. Uh, they just created this prison uh, with cameras and microphones everywhere. And uh, I, I want to I say within 24 hours, the guards were you know, brutalizing the prisoners. They were not real guards. They were not real prisoners. They were all college students. But just because of that power dynamic that was created, abuse started happening. And uh, it's a fascinating aspect of human nature. If you think about it, if if uh, a simple experiment where you just assign randomly roles like that uh, can bring that out of people who are otherwise not hostile towards other human beings. Uh, it's definitely a, a, a fascinating uh, experiment, but um, you know, the, again, that's that's where, like you said, a lot of the leadership coaching would come in and trying to help people be better leaders. So, uh, you said you had the fortune of being exposed to leadership coaching in your in your job. So, uh, uh, why did that come about? How did that come about? So it uh, really it was uh, just a fortunate. Um, I was in the right place at the right time, and the company was going through all our different sectors. You know, we had senior living, we had higher education, we had business and industry, sports venues, you know, that was our company is made up of, it's, it's about, I think they're now the 10th largest employer in the world because it's an international company. And they took uh, leaders from every sector and said, here, you know, have this, uh, have this trial. We want to see if this is something we should engage with. And so got into the trial and um, it was short, but uh, I loved it, and so did everybody else. And so then they gave us a year. Uh, and then every time I had a performance evaluation, I said, for my development, I want to continue with my coach, and they let me. So um, it was, you know, again, it was very fortunate to have had that because, you know, I think I mentioned before, during the time that I shared, that I had with the coach, you know, a lot of things were changing and the organization was changing. My role was changing. My boss was changing. Um, the territory I, I operated in was changing. And 
um, the company was shifting. So going, you know, there was a big transformation of kind of up and down throughout that time. And then certainly my transition out of the role. So, you know, again, I think I was just fortunate to be one of those first to do the trial and then um, found so much value in it, you know, that uh, I, I couldn't let it go. I hated to even let it go when I had to, but, you know, I know that that our really our coaching and, and client relationship was longer than most, but um, it was just so super helpful, um, you know, for so many so many reasons. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about that. So what did that leadership coaching look like? What kind of value did you get out of it that made you hooked? You know, um, it really started with. Um, Interestingly enough, one of the first conversations we had, and it was at a time where my role was changing and my boss was changing. And, uh, you know, the first conversation we had, apart from, you know, just getting to know one another was, so tell me what you think good leadership looks like. What does a good leader look like? And so give me some, give me five words that describe good leadership or great leaders. So I did. Give me five words that describe you would what you would say as a poor leader. Gave him that, and we kind of talked about how that looks like in real life. You know those those attributes. We kind of put that on the shelf for a minute, and um, we we went on to talk about um, at that point. You know, early on, when we were talking about procrastination and getting things done and not doing for everybody and work through that and my coach brought back to me those attributes of a good leader and a poor leader and he said sometimes great leaders need to engage those poor leadership skills to get different results and you know and I was like so you want me to scream at people I mean like, what are you saying to me he said I'm not telling you to do anything I'm just saying you know however in your way like if your team is not you know getting the results you need them to get. And you're going along with, team, this is what we need to do. This is the deadline. And people aren't meeting that for whatever reason. I had some people on my team that, you know, it was tough uh, and they were really slacking. But he said, maybe you need to bring out that stronger leader that says, listen, and I'm not saying stand on the desk and scream and point and, you know, hit people over the head, but your demeanor is always so calm Maybe you need to get a little excited. And again, I'm not asking the stream, saying, what does that feel like to you? If you've got a little excited and said, you know, and, and I think we got to get this crap done, you know, and what do, what do we need to do to get it done? Why aren't you getting it done? Instead of, you know, kind of going that slow roll, which I was so used to. And I found, you know, there were, I found there were times that that I had to, I had to draw on that. I had to draw on those those attributes that I found less than de desirable, and they were horrible. They just weren't who I was. But there were many times, especially through all the change, and certainly when COVID hit, and you were going through, you know, and as a food company, it was crazy. Um, I had to draw on those less than desirable traits to um, get people's attention. But I felt I did it in a way where I wasn't one of those what I would consider poor leader. I was just using those tools to get people to stand up, you know? So that was really the start of our, our journey together. You know, a lot of discussion we had was around values and what, the, what do I value? 
Um, are my values being met? Uh, what uh, what are the team's values? How what is the team dynamic, and how um, aligning values uh, helps teams you know work together in a better fashion? And gosh, there was so much that that we did together. Um, some of it was just um, especially as things were changing and changing so quickly. Some of it was just talking about change management, you know, uh, and I'm certainly not someone that's change averse, quite opposite, in fact, but with so much happening at once, um, I just felt like I was, you know, kind of drowning and uh, working through exercises to help me through that. And and one of the really big things that happened was as we reorganized, my team changed. Um, some of which was out of my control. And I had to, I had to let go um, of four people uh, from the team because we were condensing and moving people around. Um, and there was a level of grief in that just because that I didn't even recognize as grief. It was just hard to do. I mean, the human component of that, you know, um, but working through what that looks like and, you know, taking the time to just recognize for what it is. You know, instead of just running past it and living with it, like truly sitting in the moment, as as he used to say, just sit with it for a little while, and uh, you know, work through it, um, and then you know, put it somewhere. You know, put that. You know, once you feel like you're ready, put it, put it somewhere. Take you know, if it's under a rock or if it's out your front door, if it's out in the field, put that. Take it and put it somewhere. You know, and. Um, those were all very helpful exercises, you know, that's probably through um, a lot of that uncertainty, if you will. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's actually, as you were listening, like in my head, my coach brain was going off with like, you know, all the different tools and techniques they probably used on you. It's, you know, it's kind of interesting. I'm sure other people listening to this, they're like, what are you talking about? But I can so see like all those coaching, right? The, those coaching ideas right. coming, coming alive right. in that conversation. So what then was it for you? Uh, after receiving that coaching and having such an incredible experience, and then obviously becoming a better leader as a result. But what made you then realize I should be doing this? Oh, I think there's a couple of things. One, um, I, I had some really good feedback from people that I I had worked with. Um, that always said, you know, that you would be so good at that. You know, you hear that and you're like, oh, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> but then I really started believing that because it was something I was really passionate about. And I think the qualities that I bring to coaching that that led me to, you know, make that final step into the coaching journey was um, well, one, I'm a great listener. Uh, I always hear, I've always heard a great listener. I'm very calm. I'm empathetic. Uh, I love to help people. I don't ever like to see people struggle. Um, um, and I, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to change the, the world one person at a time, I guess, you know, and, and that my coach really did, he didn't say, yes, you should be, or no, you shouldn't be, uh, but he was very encouraging as well and saw, you know, me as a leader and saw me as a potential coach and what I would bring to the table if I would do that. And, and certainly she had a very positive um, summary to give me, you know, at the end of our time together. And, and that gave me the confidence to do it, you know. Um, That's good. Now I mean, a good coach should do that. 
Um, but yeah, the important thing too is uh, from everything you've said with your own coaching experience, right? It's we're not here to tell people how to live their lives. Uh, it's really more of a, a guide, right? And yeah. and maybe even a sounding board, like what you mentioned. Um, so I'm curious then, knowing that you come from this executive and leadership lifestyle uh, through leadership coaching yourself, how did you end up with Lumia? Because Lumia, to me, doesn't strike me as like a leadership coaching academy, a fantastic life coach academy, uh, but really not focused primarily on leadership development. So how did you end up with Lumia? So, you know, when I made the decision to enter into and enroll in a coaching education program, I did my homework and, of course, you know, talk to everybody, talk to as many as I could. Um, and what I was really looking for, I wasn't necessarily thinking at that time, it's definitely going to be leadership coaching. It was in the back of my head. Um, what I was really looking for was a community of people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I felt that instantly when I spoke to the folks at Lumia. I felt that a little bit in other places, but not to the level I did. And I kept going, you know, I kept saying, okay, well, maybe this one just because the, I've been thinking about leadership coaching, they seem to focus more on that. And I keep coming back. So I'm like, you know, like when you make a decision and you think the first decision and then you sit six ways about it and, uh, and then I find what I'm going to do from here. And I knew that I would get the skills that I needed to become a coach that I could couple with the experience I have as a leader and helping leaders. And so um, I have worked, continued to work with coaches who work on, in, in the leadership space uh, just to make sure that I'm honing those skills so I can I can be effective. But um, that's how I that's how I got there and why I made the decision to go. Yeah. How no, I'm no, no. I, I so for me the the journey was I I'd read John Kim's books. Uh, I'd followed him on the social for a while, and I, I read his books, and uh, I felt like the books he he had written were like I felt like they were written about me. And so when I found out that he had a coaching program and I was interested in coaching, there was no question in my mind that that was the program I had to be in. Uh, so that's how I ended up with Lumi. And I agree with you that the community is so supportive and phenomenal and and growing. And uh, it's it's definitely one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life uh, to join Lumia. So uh, right there with you uh, on all accounts. Uh, so how has it been going for you now? Who Who are your ideal clients? Who do you like to work with? Uh, what does that look like? What does your coaching practice look like? So my coaching practice is in the it's infancy stage. Uh, I just finished the um, essentials in August and started Signature um, a week ago. Uh, so working through that. Um, but the people that I, you know, one thing I've learned about coaching is, especially with our education and, and the requirements for education to practice is, you never know uh, in peer to peer, or even if you have a volunteer that's showing up to, to help you gain your hours, you never know what you're going to get, right? It could be anyone, and it could be with any challenge that someone's facing. And so that has taught me to be nimble um, and flexible. So, and I, you know, I appreciate the fact that we have that because you learn different things other than what you believe your niche absolutely has to be. Um, but as far as my my practice, I have really, I've been working with a coach about, you know, my niche, and it was so broad, and it was all over the place. And she said, uh, how will people know where to find you? Like, if they looked up what you do, how do you think they would type that into the search engine? 
Yeah. Because there's so many things. And so I I went back to, you know, when I said at the very beginning of, of getting into coaching was working with leaders. And so um, that's how people find me. And, you know, what I've had so far, as I said, my, my practice is, uh, is in its infancy stage, you know, but I, the clients that I do work with, I have found through um, others, you know, people who have volunteered to help me get my hours, who have led to other people who have led to other people. Um, so I've been very fortunate in that, but uh, working on bu- building my business right now um, and, uh, you know, just looking forward to opening up to the world and, and uh, helping people. Yeah. No, I, and I think it's it's perfectly normal. I mean, I know I went through some uh, some changes with how I approached my coaching too and with what I wanted to do um, as I was progressing through the program because as you go through coaching yourself, especially coach training, I think it all, you, your brain opens up to more possibilities and it's, it's the shiny object syndrome uh, along the way. You're like, oh, this is so cool. I can do this. Uh, so I, I think that's perfectly normal. And I think as time goes on, uh, you'll continue to hone that down uh, to to where you're most comfortable at, uh, at no doubt, absolutely. So, uh, but so let's ask: how, how can people connect with you? What would they tra- type into a search engine in order to find you? Well, right now they can find me on um, because I don't have my website set up. It's it's like so close, um, but they could find me by sending me an email. Um, Ellie Danowitz. E-L-O-Y-C-A-N-N-E-W-I-T-Z at Outlook.com. I'm also part of the Joy Plus community and I'm there uh, if anyone wanted to connect with me, if you're familiar with Joy Plus. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Yeah, I'll make sure that whatever contact information you want to have for them will be in the description below. Uh, And so anybody who wants to work with you can reach out to you or anybody connect connect with you uh, can reach out to you. Um, so I, I have a few questions that I want to ask you. Um, I uh, and they they actually out of a book that I just published um, to improve networking amongst people. Uh, you know, I, I got coming back to the leadership thing a little bit. Um, uh, I've kind of got fed up with the whole swapping business cards at meetings or you know connecting with people on LinkedIn or Facebook. It just seems so shallow. Uh, there's no depth to that. So I actually created a, a book uh, to network better and more deeper, create more profound connections. So I have some questions out of that uh, that I want to ask you to get a better feeling for who Ellie Danowitz really is. Um, So what is your favorite holiday and why? We have this debate in our household. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to say Christmas. Um. I love everything about the feel of Christmas, the look, the decorations, the shiny, the the snow, the cold, uh, the fireplace. I love all of that about just being in my home with my family and having all those things be a part of it. I love to give. Um, I'm not so good about receiving presents, but I do love to buy for others. Um, so I, I'd say that that would be it. Yeah, no, I I can totally relate to that. Uh, for me, Christmas is all about the kids and giving to the kids and seeing their joy. I mean, that's what makes Christmas Christmas in my mind. So mm-hmm. I can totally relate to that. So that's awesome. Uh, what is a place you haven't been to yet, but really want to visit? Switzerland. Why is that? Uh, I have heard that it is one of the most peaceful, beautiful countries. I love mountains. I love 
snow. Not a fabulous year, so I don't think I'd be going down those mountains, but uh, just uh, the serenity of, of what I've heard about um, Switzerland uh, has all, uh, since I was in um, high school. I have a friend, we always talk about when are we going to Switzerland? When are we going? I'm like, well, you know, I'm short. So, yeah, that's it. So, when are you going? I got to get her to get her stuff together. Yeah. So a uh, funny, uh, funny anecdote there. I grew up in Germany. I've been to Switzerland and you're absolutely right. It's a gorgeous country. It's so peaceful and serene. So yes, you absolutely must go. Uh, the lakes are beautiful. The mountains are amazing hikes, especially in the summertime. So yes, please go. Uh, it's a great, great country to visit. Um, so would you rather take a cold shower on a hot day or a hot bath on a cold day? Cold shower on a hot day. I'm surprised by that answer. Because you've been, you know, Chicago, Switzerland, cold weather. So uh, why the cold shower on a hot day? Is it the cold shower or is it that you like hot days? Uh, it's a combination of both. It's uh, not taking a hot shower on a hot day because I'm already hot and sweaty. And then I get out of the shower and I'm hot and sweaty because right. it's, it's hot. So the cool shower or cold shower just pulls you off. All right. Fair enough. Uh Last question, and this is uh, this is a bit of an odd one, uh, but in similar in a similar vein, would you rather have a cat that barks or a dog that meows? Dog that meows. And why is that? I'm not a cat person at all. So barking or meowing or otherwise, I just prefer the dog. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm I I was also looking at that as. Uh, I probably would prefer the dog that meows as well, uh, only because I think a dog could be trained more easily to not meow than a cat that barks, but who yeah, knows? Good point. Good yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. Right. Ellie, <laughs> All right, Ellie, this has been a wonderful conversation. I, I love this. I love this stuff. Uh, any final words you, you want to share with the world? Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me on. This has really been a lot of fun. Uh, I would just say if you're looking for uh, anything that relates to, well, life, it's life, but uh, leadership and self-leadership and being a new manager, whatever that looks like, you know, uh, take a chance with me and, you know, we can have a, a discovery call first and see if we're a good fit and go from there. That sounds great. And I'll make sure all of your contact information, like I said, is in the description below. So if anybody does want to reach out, they could do so. Thank you, Ali. It's been wonderful talking to you. Oh, um, you too. Thanks so much. Truly amazing. Me. Yes, thank you. You are. Thank you. All right. I really hope you enjoyed that. The questions that I asked towards the end are from my new book, The Simple Networking Tool. It's a great book uh, that redefines how we network. It's all about who someone is and not what they are. So if you want to get your own book, it's available on Amazon. If you want to learn more, there's videos about it here on YouTube. So you can check out this amazing new social science experiment. I'm so excited for it. If you do get a book and you do start your own, please let me know how it goes and what your experience is like. I'm working on the second edition and I want to make it the best one yet. So be sure to tag me. Let me know how it goes. Thanks for watching.